Good morning. Thank you. Happy uh, February. Yeah, happy February. Can you believe it? It's February already. This is just cranking away. Well, today, um, today we're going to continue our study in the Sermon on the Mount. We're actually turning our attention now. We've actually gone through chapter 5 of Matthew, and now we're going to be focusing in Matthew chapter 6. So if you have a Bible and like to turn there to Matthew chapter 6, we'll be there in a few minutes. Um, I believe there's some gentlemen in, or ladies that are in the middle of the aisle that if you need a Bible and you'd like one, um, just put up your hand and they'll be glad to let you borrow one. In fact, I think you can keep it if you want it. So uh, there you go. This is going to be a little unusual for me um, just because I have to hold this microphone. I'm not a hold a microphone kind of guy. And so if I, in the middle of my talk, I put it in my back pocket by my stake or just set it down because I forget that I'm using it, um, I'm sorry about that. But it, it feels a little awkward for me holding this. Um, you know, we're turning our attention this morning, as I said, to the concept of the, the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus teaches us how it is that we should pray. And before we look at the scripture, um, let's take a second and pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word and that it is truth and it is everything that we need to know to understand how to have a right relationship with you and what it is that we need to do um, as we seek to live in obedience to you because we love you. We would pray that this morning that as we look at your word that you would teach us, that, um, that you would stretch us, that we would hear from you and that you would make a difference in our lives and in our relationship with you. So um, we commit this morning to you, thankful that we have the opportunity and the privilege to be here and excited about uh, the fact that we um, are here and we want to hear from you. So to that end, we would pray, asking these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I grew up in a home where my mom and dad, I was extremely fortunate, where my mom and dad were both believers, and I really don't remember a day when I didn't know who Jesus was. I, I knew that he was my Savior. He, I knew that he was my Lord. I knew all about the gospel. I knew everything about it. And probably by five, I could communicate that to anybody. Um, and, and that's just part of who I am and how I grew up. That doesn't mean that I always believed it, okay? It doesn't mean that I was always a follower of Christ, far from that. But I want you to know that that's the environment that I grew up in. Being in that environment meant that on a regular basis, we went to church. We were at church often. In fact, I think we went to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and we had this thing called a Wednesday night prayer meeting, and we went to Wednesday night prayer meeting as well. And in the midst of that, I also went to Sunday school, and, um, which I am very thankful for, by the way, because I learned a ton about the Bible in Sunday school. And uh, those are, Sunday school is a good thing. And um, that being said, as we went to church, I, I, you know, I told you I went to this Wednesday night prayer meeting thing, and I think I was somewhere between ages of seven, eight, nine. I, it's really hard to remember how far back it was or how old I was, but I remember that we would go to prayer meeting, and prayer meeting was always a meeting where you, the church gathered on the middle of the week, and we would go to pray together, but they would always do food around it, and they would do what they called a potluck. You know what a potluck is? Like everybody brings their food, and everybody else sticks their fork in it and eats it together, and we all share the same food, and then we would go into um, a larger room and we would pray. And I, I don't really remember how many people were at the prayer meeting. For me, it seemed like there was a lot. I was a kid, and I, there could have been 50, there could have been 150. It just seemed like a lot of people. 
I do remember this about the prayer meeting, though. And I was at that age where I couldn't go to the kids' program or, like, to the children's, like, care. So I was stuck going to the prayer meeting. And so I went in with the adults. These are the things that I remember about the building. I remember that they had metal folding chairs in the room that we prayed. I remember that the floor was made out of like that tile flooring, that square tile with the different colors that you know you see it in all the older buildings. And the reason I remember that is because often they would recommend that we would kneel at our chairs. And I can remember kneeling at my chair and looking at those brown, you know, the, the brown folding chairs, you know, that kind of that brown metal looking thing. Everybody's seen them. We've used them all. Looking at that brown metal chair and, and actually folding my hands like this and looking down at the chair. And I would be on my knees. I remember being on my knees a lot and thinking the, the floor is really hard. And that was distracting. And then I can remember looking at the seat. And these are one of this is, you know how you remember certain things about just moments and snippets of time? I remember thinking that the chair that my face was very close to was a place where somebody put their butt. And, um, and I didn't want to lay my head on the chair. I remember thinking I shouldn't lay my head on this chair. So those are, those are some things that I remember. The other thing that I remember is that people would get up and pray, and it was kind of like, I think it was just kind of open. People would pray. But I remember this one individual by name. His name was Mr. Burr. Mr. Burr would always pray um, at these prayer meetings, always pray. And um, sometimes I think he might have been the only guy that prayed because it felt like that. Because when Mr. Burr prayed, he would stand up. And Mr. Burr had one of those amazing voices that when he spoke, you knew that God listened. You know, it was kind of deep. And, and not only did you know God listened to him because of the tone of his voice, but the dude could pray. I mean, even as a little kid, I can remember thinking, man, that guy can pray. He's using words I never heard of before. You know, big, like, church Jesus words, okay? And uh, he was using, and he would pray, and he would pray for a, <laughs> sad but true, would pray for a really long time. And Mr. Brewer would pray, and I, a couple things came out of that, and I don't know if this is really, um, this is probably not their intent when they took me to pray. The intent was not for them, me, for them, that I would pick this up, but I can remember as I listened to Mr. Burr pray, thinking, man, I will never be able to pray like that. Number two, I am never praying in public because I can't pray like that. And number three, where did he learn all those big words? Because I've been going to Sunday school all my life, and I still haven't heard all those things, you know? And, I, and then I also think, remember thinking, man, he must have a serious kind of connection with God. And, and that was my experience um, in my, with the prayer meetings as a, as a child. And prayer meetings are good. And um, because people gather to ask God um, to, to work and do great things. Prayer is important. It's an important aspect of the Christian life. And, and therefore, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addresses that. And so uh, let me turn there and see if I can read this. Starting in Matthew chapter 6, and let's read starting at verse 5, okay? And we'll read on through there. It says this. Jesus says that when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray. So they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows 
what you need before you ask of him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. That was pretty darn good seeing I didn't have my glasses on. I was like, I should stop and put them on, so uh, now I can see. All right. Um, so those are the words of Jesus as he tells us how it is that we should pray. The first thing you notice is this, is he says, it's important that you not pray like the hypocrites. And when Jesus used the word hypocrite, he was addressing specifically the Pharisees. And the reason he was talking about the Pharisees is because the Pharisees had set up for the people a bunch of rules and regulations. They were like the standard of religious um, religious purity and religious perfection. And they had set a standard for the people of a bunch of rules. In fact, they had taken the law of God and tweaked it so much that the people really came to believe that they could never accomplish the things that God wanted from them. They, um, they, they always would raise the bar high. They would uh, set up all these hoops that people have to jump through, all these laws and regulations that were supposed to trickle back and be found in the Old Testament law. And, um, and the people were like, wow, those guys are really spiritual because they can do all that, but we could never do that. In fact, the Pharisees also had this rule where they would pray at least three times a day. And I don't know exactly when it was that they had to pray, but there were certain times of the day when, in which they would have to pray. So no matter what they were doing, whether they were out amongst the people or at home or in the synagogue or in the, or in the marketplace, they would stop when it was time and pray. And what they would do is they would stop where they were and they would fold their hands and they would pray to God and they would pray out loud. They would pray really loud. They'd be like Mr. Burr. They would use They'd have great voices, and they would use big words that the regular people didn't know what they were saying or couldn't really communicate. And the people would see them, and they would think, wow, those guys are really spiritual. They must be really close to God. And what Jesus is saying is don't pray like those guys. Don't pray like them because the reason that they're praying out in public is because they want you to see them. And they want you to think, wow, those guys are spiritual, and I could never be like them. And Jesus said, hey, I need you to know this that they got their reward in full. When people saw them and thought, we, couldn't pray like, we could never pray like them, then those Pharisees got what they, what they were wanting, and that's as far as their prayers went. They never reached the ear of the Father because of their hypocrisy. The second thing that Jesus says is that we're not supposed to pray like the pagans. Now, when you and I use the term pagan today, which we do in every sentence, just about, right? How often was, was the last time you used the word pagan? Probably a very long time ago. But I have used the word pagan, and, and when I use that term, I usually use it to mean someone who is anti-God or a disbeliever in God, maybe an atheist or someone who's just um, opposed to the things of God, any things of God, whether it be Christianity or whatever. They're just pagans. We would use it for a term of someone who is non-religious. However, Jesus said, that can't be what Jesus is talking about because Jesus says, don't pray like the pagans, all right? And in our world, pagans don't pray, but in his world, they did. And this is what Jesus is saying. Don't pray like the other religious people. He's saying there's a bunch of religions out there, and they lived in a multi um, religious culture where there were tons of different cultures and tons of different gods, and they would pray. And Jesus said, if you'll notice how those guys pray, they think if they just 
ask loud enough and long enough, if they use some kind of rope prayer, if they pray through some, you know, some systematic prayer, if they ask and ask and ask and ask and ask, sooner or later, God, their God or God will come through for them. And Jesus said, hey, don't pray like that. He said, do not pray like that. And what Jesus does is he begins to set up a contrast between, not between those who, are non, those who are non-believers or those who do not believe in God and people that believe in God, but what he's setting up is a contrast of religious people and people who are Christians. And this is what he says. He says, now I'm going to tell you how to pray. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven. And those words right there, our Father, Our Father, that is the fundamental phrase, not only of the Lord's Prayer, but it's the fundamental phrase of understanding the truth about Christianity and the truth of how it is that we're supposed to pray. You see, Jesus said you need to pray our Father. When he was saying that, he was drawing a contrast between those people who were religious and those people who were followers of him or those people who are Christians. And and this this is the dichotomy or the difference he makes. He said, when, you, when they come to God, they approach God out of obligation. When you approach God, you approach God as a father. When they approach God, they approach God in, in an employer-employee relationship. Okay? Now, that's not really how they perceived it, but I'll explain that in a minute. In the sense that they had a sense of obligation to the God that they were praying. When we pray... Jesus says, we need to go in and understand that we have a family relationship, that we are praying to our Father. Now, that being said, when these people move into what we talked about, an employee or um, let's use the term business relationship with God, you go, well, people don't pray in a business relationship with God. Oh, I, I bet you they do. And here's why. A business relationship with God is based on this, that you have something that I want and I have something that you want. And we're going to, in a sense, barter for it, okay? Um, I will perform a certain way, and you will perform a certain way. We're in a sense of goods and services. In a family relationship, it's based on this. It's based on what I am to you in a sense of commitment. Let me show you what I mean. An employee or an employer relationship, a business relationship, is conditional. It's based upon performance for acceptance. Um, I work for um, three guys. They started a business several years ago. It's been very, very successful. And I work for them, and we get along. I mean, I travel with them, and I enjoy it when I do. Uh, We hang out and just have a great time. But no matter if I'm enjoying my time with these guys, they are always, I always see them as my boss, and they always see me as their employee. We are friends to a certain level, but... We're only friends because I perform for them, right? I do the task which I've been assigned. And when I do the task that I've been assigned, I expect them to perform for me. You know what that is? To write me a nice check so I can continue to live the standard of life that I've chosen. So, um, you know, these are the things. So I work for them. They pay me. We have a great relationship because I'm pretty good at what I do presently. Let's say that in parentheses. Presently, I'm pretty good, you know, and, um, you know, and things have kind of gone the way that they should for me in business. But let's say I wasn't so good, or then my relationship then would be a little bit strained, right? Because they would expect from me certain things that were not being accomplished. And, um, and then when I go to them, 
um, expecting them to give me a paycheck, I might feel guilty, I might feel a little bit of pressure, all those things because it's based on performance. It's my, my relationship with them and my acceptance by them is based upon performance. Now, it's not true in a family relationship. A family relationship is one in which a relationship is based upon who we are and the connectivity that we have with the individuals in our family. And when God says this, he says specifically that we um, are in a relationship with our Father. Jesus is saying that you can approach God in two ways. And this approaching God in two ways has to do not only in our, with our relationship and how we approach our relationship with God, but also all has to do with how it is that we approach him in prayer. And you can always tell which way you approach God and how it is that you approach him in your relationship with him. Now, most of you would say, well, I never approach God in a business relationship. Um, but I, I, I want you to know I do on many occasions. And that's not good. That's not proper. But I forget that God is my father. And let me illustrate it. Have you ever, have you ever been in a situation where um, you feel really good about the things you're doing for God? I mean, you know, you did something really cool. You worked in children's church and you helped a little kid and um, you felt really good about that. And then when you went to prayer, you felt pretty good about your prayer. You know, you thought, well, I can talk to God now. I mean, and I could probably ask him for something because he's got to be pretty, pretty pleased with me, right? Or, or we're performing right, we're doing the right things, we're reading our Bible, we're going to prayer, we're, we're involved in a small group, we're trying to do all the right things, and so we think that because we're doing all the right things, we can go to God and somehow say, God, all right, I'm going to come to you in prayer, and now I'm going to ask you for these things, and in our heads we think, well, we should probably get it after all because we're doing the stuff that God wants us to do. Now, you say, well, you, you, I don't think like that, but here's, let me show you why it's, you may. Have you ever asked God for something? And he not give it to you? And then you kind of get mad? You're like, hey, what's up with that? You know, I've been being good. I've been doing all the right things. I've been putting in my time. You didn't come through for me. Now, I'm over-exaggerating that. But I want you to know that a lot of times in my Christian walk and in my relationship with God, I have to guard against moving into a business relationship with God. Now, when you're, with, when you're a child in a relationship with your father, it seems that you never seem to care about the, what you ask your, your parents for, all right? You just go to them and ask them, hey, I want a hamburger. Where would you like it, they say. And then you choose the place. Now, you don't always get it, right? But you're not scared to ask. And when your parents... And your father specifically tells you that no for something, you just understand, even though you may be a little upset, you understand that he wants the best for you. Now, we can talk about this father relationship about God, but you, you don't get it. I don't think you understand the whole father relationship with God until you are a father. And as I look around this room, there are less of you in here that, that are fathers and mothers than still have not yet had children, I'm guessing, because it's a pretty young crowd. I talked to a guy after the first service, and he said, Mike, I want you to know, and he had, he had a three-year-old, and he said, I never, he said, my dad was a crummy dad, and I could never relate to God as my father until I had this little boy. And he said, my perspective of God has changed, and that is so true. So listen, if you had a crummy dad or you, you have a, a stressed out relationship in your family, here's the deal. 
You can't base your relationship or your understanding of God as our Father on your earthly father. You can't. But what you have to do is understand God as your heavenly father and then measure your earthly father against him. Now, I am not the best parent in the world, all right? I am not. But I, I, I kind of fancy myself as an okay dad, all right? Okay, above average, all right? I'm below average in some things, but I'm above average dad. At least that's my perception. I, you know, my kids will tell you that I love them. I gotta tell you something about having kids. And for those of you who have not yet grasped, had children, you will not grasp this, but you will remember I said this someday, and you will go, oh yeah, that dude said that. This is what happened. We got married, we were going through life, uh, wasn't even interested in having kids. I got home one day from um, a big tr um, a trip outside of the town. I came home, my wife had fixed dinner. I sat down at the table, we're eating dinner, and I'm having a great time, and I noticed that she decorated up the house, and it was really, you know, the table was decorated. There were candles on the table, and, all, and I'm like, wow, she's really missed me, you know? And I'm thinking really good. And, and, and we're about halfway through the meal, and she goes, have you noticed? And I said, what? She goes, have you noticed? And I went, oh, yeah, the, it's really nice. The table's really nice. She goes, look at the candles. And I said, yeah, they're, they're nice. She goes, they're blue and pink, blue and pink. And I went, yeah. And she goes, blue and pink. And I went, oh. And I went, no stinking way. How did this happen? And then, um, <laughs> and so it's like, you're getting all ready. And then you're like, oh, we're going to have a baby, you know, and you're so excited. And, and I really wanted a little girl. I so wanted a little girl. I don't know why. Guys are supposed to want a guy. I wanted a little girl. I just wanted a little girl. And um, we were uh, doing the ultrasound, and the doctor does this thing, you know, does ultrasound. Said, Would you like to know what you're having? But I'm not stupid. I can see the picture, and I knew instantaneously we were having a boy, okay? And we're having a boy, and I, I didn't go, oh, this stinks. Let's try again, you know. We, uh, no, that's not. Instantaneously, instantaneously, I didn't want a girl anymore. I wanted a boy. It was great. I'm having a boy. Yeah, I'm having a boy. <laughs> Told my friends I'm having a boy, doing the right thing, you know, and all. And, and then, and then we, he was born. And, it, you know, he's in the hospital, and he, he had lots of hair, which I was thankful for. And he had some really big hands, and they said he was in there too long, so he was, like, overcooked. And he came out with some really big hands, and I thought, this dude is going to be the best receiver. And... Um, <laughs> And we took him home, and we put him in his little crib, and, um, and I, it was just like somebody came to visit, right? Somebody came to visit, and I can remember going in there one night. He'd probably been there, I don't know, three, four weeks, going into his room. My wife was asleep, exhausted, and in her bed. It was probably about 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night. I went in, opened his door, and there's this little baby, you know, they're sleeping on their tummy because that's the way you put them on there. He's sleeping on his tummy, and I'm leaning on the crib, looking at him, and I don't know what happened. It was, a, it was a miracle of God that somehow that little boy who was like a visitor became my boy. And the love that I had for him just filled me up, and I just started weeping. I just started crying. I go, what in the world is this? Yeah. This is, I love this little kid. This is the same little kid that a few weeks ago, when I changed his first diaper, he peed on me. I mean, he peed on me. And now I feel this for him, and I'm like, this is crazy. I still remember the first time we took him out on New Year's Eve because we were under the impression, okay, no little kid is going to change 
our style, cramp our lifestyle. Oh, what a joke. All right, so we, we put him in one of those little carrier things, and I carried him, you know, we carried him, and we took him to the party, and all the people were like, oh, the baby, the baby, you know, and that's, you show off your kid, yeah, you know, look at those hands, you know, all those kind of things. <laughs> and he already had a football, you know, uh, so all those kind of things, you know, and you're taking him home, and I remember putting him in the car, it was like 1 o'clock in the morning after the New Year's Eve party, and we, we pull out of the driveway, and all of a sudden, I became aware of nev- as never before that there are people on the road this time of year, this, this evening, New Year's Eve, now New Year's Day morning, they should not be on the road because they've had too much to drink. And I got to tell you, for the first time ever, I was the most defensive driver in my entire life. There was a little kid in my back seat whose life depended on me, and I was getting him home. I would have sat on the hood of the car and, and taken the blow, right, to get this kid home. In fact, when I got him home, put him in his bed, I felt this great sense of accomplishment because I had saved my child's life. (laughs) Here's the deal. When you become a dad, all right, and once again, I'm not a perfect dad, and you may have had a great dad, or you may have a bad dad. You may not even know your dad. But the concept of what a father is supposed to be like is there. A good father, a loving father. And God says he's the perfect father. I gotta tell you something about being a dad. I would... I would do anything to give my kids what they want. I would do anything to protect my children. I would bleed for and I would die. Give up my life to make sure that my kids are in a right relationship with God and know Jesus Christ is their Savior because they're my kids. They're mine. And I love them. And Jesus says, when you pray, get this, you can pray, our Father, my Father, who is in heaven. That's how we enter into prayer. That's the relationship that we have with God. And if you don't grasp that, you don't understand Christianity. You don't understand why Jesus came. Jesus came not to just make us better. Jesus came not to just to get us to heaven. Jesus came to move us into a relationship with God so that we can know him as our father. And when we know him as our father, we can pray like no one else because we can go to him as our father. And when my kids come to me and they ask me for things, I want to give it to them. Now, granted, I don't give them everything that they want. You know, if my son was eight years old, He's older than that now, but when he was eight, if he came up to me and said, Dad, I'm thinking about getting a tattoo, I would say no. I said, you know, Dad, I'd like to drive the car. i go, absolutely not. And he'd go, why would you do that? How could, you don't love me. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? The reason I'm not letting you drive the car is because I love you. Do you get it? You get it? This is a deal with God. He loves us so much. And we can go to him in prayer when we have the right relationship with him, and when we move from being people who see our relationship with God as some kind of situation in which we have to perform for him to get from him. That is the farthest thing. You know what? Even when my kids hurt me, and we get in arguments, or they disobey me, me, or they do something really stupid, or they step way outside the boundaries that we set up for them as parents, I still love them, and I would still die for them. Now, those of you that aren't parents, you remember that. 
And you'll remember your first New Year's Eve coming home. And you'll go, that guy was right. But here's the deal. Moving from that, that is who God is to us. That is why Jesus came. Not just to get us to heaven, but to make us God's children. If you don't believe me, and I, I think you will do, but I'm just going to back it up with a little bit of theology. It's really not theology, it's just scripture, but these, these words are so amazing. They're going to put them on the screen for, me, for you. I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. It says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. And then dropping down to verse 14 of, that, of Romans 8, it says this, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves or employees so that you live in fear. Fear again. But rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry out, Abba, which I know you know this, but means daddy, daddy or father. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are indeed children of God. And then in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7, it says, But when the time, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive a that we might receive adoption to sonship because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba Father so that you are no longer slaves or employees. You are God's children. And since you are his children, God has also made you heirs. We are people who've been adopted by God. Here's the deal with adoption. Adoption, the child has nothing to do with adoption. Babies who are adopted have no, nothing to do with adoption. It's all up to the father or the parents that are adopting. Adoption has nothing, is not based upon, listen, it's not based upon whether the kid is good or not. They don't go, oh, that's a really good kid. I'll take that one. You know, they don't, it's not like picking a puppy. No. Adoption is based upon the choice of the parent. It is an, it's a legal obligation. And adoption is such that when someone is adopted, they receive all, listen, they receive all the rights, privileges, legal, as a child of the individual who adopts them. There's a lot of neat things about our salvation in which God works. It talks about his foreknowledge, his predestination. It talks about all those things. You know, you get down to justification, and justification is an amazing thing. Justification is when we, who are sinful, are declared not sinful anymore. That our sins are forgiven, 
And not only are our sins forgiven, but we are declared righteous. But not just because of our own righteousness, which we don't have, but the very perfection and righteousness of Christ is given to us. Theologians call that imputed. That it's given to us so that when the Father sees us, he only sees the righteousness and perfection of Jesus, and he chooses to do that. That's justification. But even something even, even bigger and more amazing is the concept of adoption. Because he doesn't just forgive us and makes us right, make us righteous but he makes us his kids. How cool is that? That is so cool that he makes us his children and that we move into a relationship where we can ask of him that which we desire. Once again, some of us move through prayer in a business relationship. We sit down with God and we've got these social obligations that we feel like we have to make with him and that we, you know, we kind of come in into it and we say, well, we've kind of done this. And, and there really are rules and restrictions, right, um, about our relationships with people. I mean, when you, you know, take for instance, uh, this week I was in, I was in Modesto, California. I take that back. That was Modesto. I was in Bakersfield. I was in Bakersfield, California on business. I was staring at a Marriott and I have lots of points because I travel a lot. And so they put me up on the ninth floor, which was like the Ooh, you're an important floor. Um, and I felt really important because I was up there. And then the next, that, that next morning I was getting up and I went to the elevator to leave and I went out to the night floor elevator and I pushed the button to go down. And when I was there, a gentleman came up next to me and uh, I did, hey, good morning, how are you? And he said, good, thank you very much. And then we stood there and the doors opened and we both got in. Now, at that point, you move into a situation which is kind of awkward. I don't know if you've ever been in one of those situations, but, you know, you get in the elevator and you really don't know what to say. So most of us um, turn and face the numbers, right? And we just kind of watch them or counting down eight, seven, six, and then it stops. And then you're like, well, somebody else is going to get on. So, but here I am in this small confined room with this other guy. And um, a few years ago, actually about 15 years ago, I made a promise to myself that in these situations that I wouldn't be the guy that looks at the numbers. So I always turn around and face the people that are in the elevator. And I turned around, and I said, um, and I noticed that he was packed, and he had his suitcase. I said, you heading home? And he goes, uh, no, I'm heading down the road for more work. And I said, you know, what do you do? And I, I'm well within my rights now, right, to have a conversation, because this is not uncomfortable at all, un uncomfortable. I can ask him a little bit about you. I can ask questions like, what time is it? But why would I do that? Because I have a cell phone like everybody else in America. And, um, you know, but there's, there's these rules and regulations that you have in an elevator. I can't go. Now, he was wearing a really, really cool North Face jacket. And I, I wouldn't, I can't go, hey, really like your jacket. That begins to get uncomfortable right there. <laughs> All right? All right? And, um, and I, can't, I can't walk up to him and say, you know, like, hey, you know, I like your jacket. I think I'm think I might get one of those. Could I try yours on? You know, first of all, I've only got nine floors. But secondly, that just moves the conversation into a really weird place because we have social obligations. The same thing with my boss. Listen, the same thing with my boss. When I'm with my boss, I, I, you know, I can hang out. We can have a great time. But in this business relationship with him, I will never, never, ever be invited to move into his house. It's not going to happen. He's not going to say, hey, why don't you come? You are such a good sales guy. I want you to move into my house. That's not going to happen. Here's the other thing is I'm not going to ask him to move into mine either. That's not the relationship that we have. It can only go so far. Our relationship is based upon performance, my performance, and therefore what I expect obligation from him. But here's the deal. When we move into a relationship with God and we understand he's our father, 
our relationship, those walls are torn down. And the real father-son relationship can take place. And when we pray, we can move into a relationship with God knowing that he is our father and we can ask of him the things that we would ask of our earthly father. In fact, he's our heavenly father and we can ask way bigger things. And Jesus says this, this is how you pray. The very first thing is the foundation of your relationship with God. It's the foundation of understanding how to pray. Pray our Father. Our Father. Listen to this. No one ever dares wake up a king in the middle of the night to ask him for a drink of water except for his kids. And he would jump up and give it gladly. That is the God we have. Now, I'm not telling you he's a great God that's going to give you everything that you want because that's not the relationship we have, is it? Our relationship with him is because of who we are, his kids. Our desire is to please him and to seek his guidance in our lives because we know our Father has what is best for us. And that's the truth. And when we can enter into prayer, knowing God is our Father, and approaching him knowing that he has the very best for us in mind because he's our Heavenly Father, and he loves us more than we could ever, ever, ever comprehend, our prayer becomes sweet. And it becomes real, and it's no longer business. It's a real relationship. And we don't have to do it. We want to do it. And it's not something we schedule. It's something we long to do. And Jesus says, when you pray, pray our Father. Pray your Father. He is your Father if you are a follower of Christ. If you don't get this, then, and you don't understand all this, and you think, well, I've been trying to be really good and trying to measure up to God, you don't have to. In fact, you could never do it. You could never, ever do it. And the father says, do you understand about Jesus? I loved you so much that I sent my son to live a perfect life, something that you can't do, to give his life sacrificially and then rise again from the grave so that if you understand that, that you believe that, and you will trust in what he's done, you can move into a relationship with me, not just so that you're forgiven, and you, but that you will be one of my kids. That is the truth of Christianity. It's the only religion in the world that offers a relationship with God as his son or daughter. How amazing is our God who wants us to come and pray. Next week, we'll pick up from there. But just remember this. He is your father. He loves you. His greatest desire is to do great things in and through you and give you the desires of your heart because you're his kid, and that is very cool. Let's pray. God, if we don't get anything else from this morning, I just pray that you would grind in our heads and our hearts that we belong to you and that you are our father you love us so much. You've given so much to establish that relationship and to adopt us. And your desire is that we would approach you 
in a relationship with you and in prayer, understanding how great is the love of the Father that has been lavished on us. Thank you. Thank you for loving us that much. Thank you for making us your kids. Help us to remember that and to live and to pray in the reality of the fact that we have a Father who is God. Amen.